Welcome in, everybody, to yet another episode of Sad Times. My name is Kevin. Appreciate you listening. Uh, for those of you who may be listening for the first time, let me just give you a little rundown here. Uh, sad Times is a show where we have a guest on every week who talks about times they were sad, upset, angry, emotional, uh, just having a really difficult time and how they dealt with it and, and also, you know, how those who loved them dealt with it. And I, I think that the the goal, not I think, I know that the goal of this show is to uh, allow people to tell their stories so that people out there who might have gone through something similar and think that, that maybe they had they are the only ones who had that experience are able to listen and maybe feel less alone. Um, you know, we're not trying to um, diagnose anything or or solve anything. Um, we just we just want to allow people to tell their stories and and hopefully uh, help people feel a little more open and and less alone. Um, and uh, you know. So if you are a longtime listener, you know that we have had a sponsor for a long time, and I, I am sad to say that uh, I got a call last night, and Fuck Cigarettes is no longer sponsoring the program. They have uh, brusquely told me that they are moving on to sponsor some show on the Fox Nation streaming service, so... Uh, I can't confirm or confirm that. That's just what Bill T. Fuck told me. So um, best of luck to them and uh, their nicotine-infused product. Uh, but we do have uh, – we were able to get another sponsor today. Uh, today's show is brought to you by Kevin's New Passport Photo. That's Kevin's New Passport Photo where youth goes to die. Okay. So <laughs> – that is uh, our sponsor. So uh, let's get to the show. Uh, today we have uh, uh, a former colleague of mine uh, and uh, a good man with a great sweatshirt on. Uh, that's the Cubs World Series Championship sweatshirt from 2016, not 1908 or 1907. Uh, and his name is Josh. Josh, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Awesome. Well, thanks for being here, man. Um, you know, I wanted... I wanted to talk about something that you and I were talking about off air just before we came on. Uh, and you were telling a story about how shortly, I believe it was shortly before you were married, um, your soon to be wife uh, experienced a, a tragedy and you kind of told a kind of an everyday story about how you supported her. And I think you related it really well. So can you tell us kind of what you did and then kind of the realization you had as you were kind of stepping back from what was going on? Yeah, so um, it just so happened that I actually had a work trip. Uh, I was in Nashville for a couple of days, and I came home from Nashville and almost basically just put down my bag when my wife got a call from her brother that their mom had passed away. And oh, wow. we were, you know, on kind of the north side of the city, and, and she was in the south suburbs. Um, and so, obviously, everything kind of just stopped, right? Everything just kind of went, you know, into a whole different mode of sure. what the heck is going on and, you know, what are we, what are we doing? And, um, you know, my wife saying, okay, well, I, you know, obviously I got to go. And, um, even at that moment, you know, I was like, oh, well, I'm coming with you. And she's like, oh, really? Like she uh -huh. didn't expect it. Like she, it was like shocked that, I, you know, we didn't, you know, I was, didn't have kids at the time or anything, just the two of us living together. And she's like, what, you know, she was going to like see her mom's you know body essentially at the house Jeez, and yeah. and she's just like i'm like well, you're not driving yourself like you know why would i you know why would i let you go by yourself and deal with this um you know even if i you know and i literally went there and sat in the car the entire time for i, I don't even know how long for maybe an hour or hour and a half while the the coroner came and 
Um, this is at, in the house. So yeah, she was at her own house. So okay. like, so like the, the the siblings all came, you know, and you know were there when the the coroner came and or you know picked up the body and you know, and I was just sitting in the car and waiting. But that's I, I w- couldn't have imagined not doing that. Do you know? Can you? And maybe you can't answer this. Do you know why she was surprised that you offered to do that? I just think in her, you know, background, she just didn't have that gotcha. support normally, and oh. you know, didn't have, um, didn't she didn't really know how to handle it. And I think you know there was part of her that maybe went into her own personal like this is my problem, and you know oh. didn't you know didn't think that like anybody else needed to be involved, or maybe you know that kind of like privacy type of thing kicked in of like, this is my private moment. Like, I don't really want anyone else involved, Okay, you know, but at the same time, she clearly was okay with it. She was just shocked, you know, some reason, uh, you know, a little bit shocked by it. Um, even the next day when we went to look at, uh, you know, funeral places and, and uh, a plot, you know, in the cemetery, she was shocked that I wanted to come with that day. Like I called off work and was like, no, I'm coming with you. And she was just like, well, you don't have to do that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I do. Like that's yeah. like this is like the the worst day in your life. Why would I? Why would I not be as close as I can be to you? Uh, you know, and that, it is a really interesting, a really interesting thing. It brings up an an, an another interesting question observation that makes me think um, of the many things I'm inept at, of which there are many. Uh, one of them is relationships, and I've had to learn the hard way that, at least for me, speaking for myself. Sometimes, yeah, I'm like, oh, I'm going to deal with this problem alone. And then, you know, I've been with a partner and the partner's like, well, I'm here to help too. And I'm like, so I guess I get it what you're saying. I'm like, oh, you, oh, oh, okay. I don't know what to do with that, even though that is the the, the nice thing and the loving thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's probably, you know, what it was. And, um, you know, I just wanted to, you know, be there for whatever she needed and get, drive her around if that's all it took and mm-hmm. not make her, you know, um, driving, you know, it was scary for me to have her driving around with, you know, whatever was going through her head and, you know, especially she, with all the traffic and, and yeah. anything that could happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just, that wasn't, it, you know, wasn't something I was going to want her to do. And so, um, you know, so anyways, you know, we, you know, we, you know, she went and did some stuff with her family and, um, you know, the next day they were doing, you know, doing all the, the things you got to do when someone passes away suddenly mm-hmm. and didn't, you know, we, they didn't have a plan for it. They didn't have, you know, the mom hadn't really, you know, done anything to plan for it. And so they were kind of starting fresh and none of them really knew what to do it was the first, you know, death in the family and they didn't really know what to do. And, you know, so they were just kind of figuring it out. And, you know, my wife didn't, you know, want me with her siblings and doing something that was fine. And so I went to a coffee shop, you know, while they were, you know, picking out all these things and making yep. these decisions. And, you know, it definitely, you know, I was in a place of like, this is about the worst day in my life, you know, that like the person I love, you know, parent passed away suddenly and is dealing with this tragedy. Like I was in a very like different, you know, different place, just separated from everything else in the world. Right. And Mm -hmm. I felt like sitting in the coffee shop that like I was my own Island of like what I was dealing with. Mm -hmm. But as I was sitting there and just kind of observing other people come in and out and laugh and joke and smile and, and, and kind of, you know, think about it from my perspective of like, you know, I could also, I was kind of like, well, why are they laughing? Why are they smiling? Today's a terrible day. But, you know, I kind of was able to realize like, 
well, they don't know what kind of a terrible day I'm having. And honestly, when I'm doing the same thing they're doing, I'm probably not realizing that other people might be having a terrible day around me too. Right. And that you just don't know what's happening in somebody's life and what just like a a smile or a, hey, how you doing? Or, um, you know, just a, a, a gesture or holding a door for somebody, you know, they could be having the worst day of their life and that might make it better. And, you know, and, and so that, you know, it was just a really, you know, just a stark realization for me, you know, that I learned in that moment. And, you know, I really, I, you know, I appreciate that I was able to, to learn that, you know, through the tragedy, but, um, you know, it, it sucks that you have to, you know, have that happen to, learn, to really learn right. that starkly. I think that just, um, I think that's really, really well said and, and really just simple and profound. And, um, I couldn't agree more, you know, uh, just, Small kindnesses can go a long way for people. And um, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that's such a good and positive realization that one can get, especially in a time like that, where it's like, what is going on and all this stuff. So I appreciate that. I'm, and I'm glad that you were able to share that. Um, but you, you got the Cubs sweatshirt on. You And you said that you at the time you were living in the north side of the city. Are you, You're from the city of Chicago? Yep. yep. Grew, born and raised um, pretty much always in Chicago. Um, you know, like other than four years of college in Indiana. So, mm-hmm. so, uh, what did your parents do? My dad was a Chicago cop, um, oh, nice. my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, spent 30 years on the force, uh, and, re- you know, was able to retire, um, with a, you know, with his full pension, which is, is a nice thing for, for him. He didn't initially want to be a cop. He was actually going to be a youth pastor, uh, when he, <laughs> jump. although both, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. An interesting, interesting combination of things. Um, you know, he actually had gone to California to go to school to be a youth pastor when the, his, uh, you know, dad called and said, Hey, you got this letter from the Chicago police department that says you, you are accepted to the Academy. Uh, and him and my mom were married and ended up, you know, going to California and almost immediately turning around and coming back so he could take a job. With, was this before with, they had any kids? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a few years before they had any kids. And so, um, you know, they had that flexibility. And so my dad came back and, and got on, you know, the police force. Um, and, you know, so when I was younger, he was, you know, working a lot of weird hours, right? He had to, he had to rotate between afternoons and midnights and days. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just have stark memories of like us leaving for school and him coming home or us coming home and needing to be quiet because dad was finally able to go to sleep. Um, and, you know, just come, you know, you know, depending on the different shifts, you know, you know, how, yeah. you know, kind of d- dancing around um, him when we were younger. And it's not like he's coming home from a um, that entry job, right? right He's right. coming home from a, a challenging, emotional, stressful, anything you want to put it. Yeah. And then, um, so you, you, and you said you have siblings. Yep. I have uh, a, one older, an older brother and a younger brother. We're all about a year and a half apart. Okay. Uh, so you would have to kind of tiptoe around. So I do want to ask this because it, this popped up. Would you be able to tell me if the police Academy movies are accurate? <laughs> I, I I wouldn't uh, 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 I would I would say uh, there is definitely a uh, interesting uh, thing about <laughs> cops in general, but um, I yeah I, I don't think it gets quite that interesting. But my you know my my dad has you know really long term friends in the police department, and you know he still hangs out with now, and they have some really interesting 
names for each other, nicknames for okay. each other. No, uh, but not Mahoney uh, yeah, or no, Commandant Lassard. Um, usually, okay. usually a little more. Actually, a little worse. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. but yeah, there's, I mean, there's definitely characters. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, my, we, you know, growing up, you know, my dad was, you know, kind of in and out a lot when I was younger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it, it was stressful. And, you know, you don't know when you're a kid how stressful it is for him. But when, you know, there were times where, like, you know, we'd spill the milk or something and it felt like the world was ending and it was probably cause he was tired and stressed out. And I mean, he would get, yeah, he just get, you know, he'd get angry about, you know, mm-hmm. messing around and, you know, just eat your, eat your cereal and quit messing around. And, you know, it's just, you know, one of the unfortunate, like bad memories that stuck with me for a long, you know, a long time and kind of something I'm, you know, trying to learn from as a parent myself is, you know, you just don't know like what moments are going to stick with your kids. And for some right. reason, you know, there's just this like stark moment of, you know, my father getting angry about spilled milk that is in my head. Well, did you cry over it? Uh, Probably not. Okay. <laughs> probably not. But it's something so to, to maybe, I don't know, five-year-old Josh, you're like, well, what's the big deal that I just spilled milk? And then you, right. did you feel like you disappointed him or you'd done yeah, something wrong? Yeah, I think it was just, you know, a feeling of, um, you know, just, you know, that kind of sense of criticism of like, you know, you're just not good enough or, you know, a little bit of, you know, dad doesn't, you know, know anything about me other than my mistakes kind of thing. Um, I, you know, I think that's where it was, uh, a tricky, a tricky transition as he got older, you know, my brothers actually had even more conflict with them than I did in some ways. We all had kind of different conflicts with them, but I think it was a lot of it was around, you know, just him when, you know, we were younger, him just not being around and the times he was around, it was usually some sort of, there seemed to be negativity involved or, you know, some sort of, you know, discipline involved or, you know, what are you doing and, you know, kind of questioning involved. Mm -hmm. And it was probably more just, he was stressed and tired and working crazy hours. And, but we, you know, to us, it was just like, dad's not around. And when he is around, he's mad at us. And so you're kind of tiptoeing around him, even if he's in the room with you. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that led to, you know, certainly some, some challenges, you know, in high school and, and stuff with, you know, with me, it was around, around sports, around with my brothers it was more around grades and stuff mm-hmm. where they were scared to like tell him what was going on or you know scared to like you know tell the truth and you know it's kind of just because when you say they you mean your brothers were yeah, scared yeah uh, like if they said oh i got a bad grade there would be a problem yeah hiding hiding report cards mm-hmm. stuff like that right because mm-hmm. you're just like what you know i don't want to get yelled at again mm-hmm. right and yeah. you know and so you know you just gotta that's what i um, you know, I feel like is important for me as a parent now is to make sure if I do, you know, something does happen to my kids and I lose my temper to try to repair that as soon as I can so that the memory isn't just like dad yelled at me and walked away. Uh, right. And, or dad yelled at me and that's all I, re- you know, I don't remember anything else. It's dad yelled at me, but you know what, later we hugged and, and, and got back together and repaired it. And we had, you know, we had fun afterwards or we, you know, we joked afterwards or uh-huh. I got tickled afterwards and it was, so it wasn't so, you know, I, we, we know, you know, it was a bad thing, but it wasn't a bad like thing for the relationship necessarily. Right. And so, you know, I think that's something I've tried to to learn from is just not letting, you know, negative memories stay a negative memory for my kids and trying to really, you know, switch that as much as I can to, to, to repair it, you know, as soon as possible, if something does, you know, get in the way. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have uh, kids um, probably as an edict from God, but uh, you know, 
I, I, I think it's just really refreshing to hear something uh, so thoughtful because, it, you know, a number of people I'm close to obviously have children and it just seems to me the most challenging thing. You know, it's, it's, it's the cliche, oh, parenting is the hardest job, et cetera, et cetera. But to hear somebody describe it while also trying to say, well, I'm trying to do better, it's just a really hopeful thing to hear. So that's really awesome to hear. Yeah, I mean, par- parenting's a, you know, it you learn a lot from it. Um, you know, it changes you no matter what, you know, and uh, you can either lean into it and and learn those lessons and and try to, you know, do better every, you know, every day and 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 help your kids or, you know, it's it's easy to get in a, a rut of and, you know, I think every parent's gone through it and I've certainly have, you know, probably more more times than not of, you know, getting, you know, discipline being your, your out card, right? So to say, you know, well, I'm going to put you in your room or I'm going to, I'm going to either threaten you or give a reward, you know, and use these kind of binary things of like, either do what I want. You know, if you do what I want, I'll give you a reward. If you don't do what I want, you're going to be punished or you're not going to get something or I'm going to take something away from you. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you know, it's, it's, you know, so like traditional in, in a sense of how things work, but it's such a, a, a damaging thing to your relationship with your kids. Um, and it's actually kind of the easy way out and I get it right. Parenting stressful. And so it's just like, sometimes you're just like, would you please stop crying? I will do anything. I, I will, I will plead, beg, pray. Mm-hmm. I, I will give you the world if you would just stop screaming and punching me for a moment. Like just, uh-huh. please, you know, there's no reason we're do- why we're <laughs> doing this. Can you just please stop? Right. And you, you'll, you, you want to come up with every bribe or, or threat or whatever. What, you just trying to figure, you're going through like a dozen different things of like, I'll give you this. Oh, that didn't work. I'll take this away. Nope, that didn't work. I'll give you this. Yeah. And so there's just a constant, like you're just trying to find like the thing that's going to work. And unfortunately, the the best thing to do is to let them have their tantrum, you know, hold them through it, help them calm down, you know. But sometimes that can take an hour. It's like yeah. you know, in most of our most of our lives, we don't have an hour to you know, to let a kid calm down, right? You got to get them to school. You got to get them to daycare. You got to give them the next place, and you know, and that's what makes parenting hard is you know the challenges of just like the time, right? And and in order to like truly like do the right thing for your kid, you can't be on a clock. And like, as soon as you're on a clock, they know it and they, and they'll, they'll make it harder, right? As soon as you, they think you're, you're rushing them or you're pushing them Uh or you're trying to get them to go somewhere faster than they want to go. Like, you know, good luck. They'll dig in their heels. Right. And then you get in a cycle of, of, you know, punishments and, and rewards. And I'll do this. If you, if you get in the car, I'll give, you'll get this. If you don't, you know, or if you don't get in the car, this is, you know, and and you get away from the, you know, sometimes there's, you know, you can use, you know, natural consequences. Like, Hey, well, if you don't get in the car, we're not going to get to swimming. And so you're not going to be able to swim. Mm Mm-hmm. So you can sit here, that's fine, you know, and you can be calm about it and have like the natural consequence happen. But like to like even just threaten like, well, we're not going to go to swimming. Then they they get in that cycle and then they learn that cycle. And you can see it. They start to like build that habit and and everything becomes more challenging, you know. And so, you know, what, but you can see too when you spend, when you have the time, when you're not on that clock and you're not trying to get somewhere and you can really spend the time to like allow a kid to go through that process and then coach them through how to handle it. Like, or like if you're setting a boundary and say, no, you can't do that. And they're like, heck no, I'm going to scream about this for two hours. Mm-hmm. Well, but if you can, if you have the opportunity to let them scream for two hours and get through it, 
they probably aren't going to do it again. Because if you don't give in and they understand that's a boundary and they know how much they're going to like, you know, use use their things against you, they start to go, okay, that's a boundary. I'm okay with that now. And I see that with my kids that like, you know, those boundaries, um, you know, will will come, you know, in a more peaceful way by letting them go through that process rather than like trying to shortchange it and getting in that cycle of, of rewards and punishments. Uh, you know, I'm really happy to announce uh, a new podcast from fourth hand media called pra- uh, profound parenting with Josh, <laughs> because damn, that's good stuff, man. And, you know, before we go back to your childhood, yeah. one thing I want to say is I-, I love the idea that you're kind of promulgating here that, there isn't always a simple solution for these things. It's not a black or a white thing, right? It's exactly. not a either or all that. Um, now you mentioned from when you, you, your brothers, it was grades, you sports. What was the sport that you were really? Yeah. So I, I played baseball, um, you know, for a very long time. Um, and you what know, position? I was a, I was a catcher from about seven years old, eight years old on. How are your knees? Um, so far, so good. Okay, good. We'll see. You know, uh, I'm, that's my concern in about 10 years that I'll, I'll be paying the price for, yeah. for that. Um, but so far, so good um, that I haven't had too many issues. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I love baseball. I used to sit and watch, you know, Cubs games, you know, before I had to go to school, I could watch day games, you know, the Cubs didn't have lights when I was, you oh, know, yeah. when, when I, you know, the Harry and Steve. So, so every game yeah. was during the day yep. almost. Yes, sir. And so, you know, I, I would sit and watch Cubs games and, and learn. I would, you know, I would, my dad played 16 in softball and I would, um, I would be the kid like behind the backstop actually watching the game while the kids were messing around and running around and, and causing trouble. And I was actually, you know, for some reason I wanted to sit behind the backstop and actually see what was happening and learn the game and, you know, just, just observe. And I, I've just always kind of been that way of like being able to like, you know, take something in and focus on it and really observe and see all the pieces and see all the parts. And even at like five years old, um, you know, that was something I, I would do. And I would just, you know, learn the game from my dad playing softball. Um, I'm going to take a, just a real quick moment here to say that it's a beautiful game. And I, I understand that not, not everybody loves it. Uh, but the way you're describing it and the way that you can just sit back and learn the game by watching it, uh, because so much is going on. And I, I just want to give a, a plug to baseball because it <laughs> needs it. Uh, so you're a catcher. And obviously, for anybody who – the catcher kind of needs to know what's going on. Oh, Jesus. My beautiful chapstick. Uh, needs to know what's going on on the field pretty much everywhere, yeah. right? Um, so you you were an integral part of the team. And so tell us about what it was like. You know, you said you started about seven or eight once you got into high school. Like how how yeah. was that? So, yeah, so I mean, by the time I was 12, I, I actually, when I was 12 years old, I played 110 baseball games in the summer. Holy shit. Uh, um, it, it's an interesting story. I, it, so at, at 10 and 11, I played on the like park league travel team and it was, you know, pretty, you know, pretty minor travel, just local, like, you know, tournaments and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then, um, my dad actually got with some other dads at 12 years old was like, Hey, we should. Yeah, we got some good, you know, our sons are pretty good. We want to give them a bigger opportunity to play travel baseball and 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 do more things. And and so some dads got together and started a little travel team called the Diamonds. And um, and so obviously I was onyx, my dad was part of doing it. Well, it so happened that there was this other team 
that out of Lake County that was really good. And we played against them and they always beat us and they were always winning all these tournaments. And I, so I went, ended up going to a camp of theirs just to like go to a baseball camp at 11 years old. And at the camp, they're like, Hey, we like you. We want you to come play for us. Wow. And I was on the team that kept beating you. Yeah. So, oh, wow. so like this really good team. And I'm like, well, I want to, dad, I want to play for them. Like, yeah. I know you're starting a team for me, but you know, I want to go play for them. They're good. I want to go with that team. Um, he, he told me I had to do both. Basically, he said, well, you can do that, but you have to, you have to play on the, the, the other team as well, Oh wow! Okay. which was, you know, so that's why I ended up, how I ended up playing about 110 baseball games in a, in a summer. Um, because every day there was a baseball game basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I played on both teams. It was a little challenging because I was really more focused on the, the better team and, you know, it kind of damaged some, I think the relationships on the other team and even my dad with you know, some of the other dads and stuff, it was a little bit of like, you know, Josh shows up every so often, you know, what the hell, right? Like, why is he getting to play when, you know, my kid's here every day or, you know, why is he playing ahead of anybody else? You know, and so like, I didn't really understand that at that age. Like Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know. Did it strain between you and your dad at all? Or was he understanding because you were doing Yeah, not really. At that time, it it really didn't. Um, You know, they were just driving me around and I didn't care. I just wanted to play baseball. You know, at 12, mm-hmm. you're just oblivious and just like, hey, I get to play baseball every day. Great. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I didn't really, and it, you know, it didn't really, at 12, you do, I wasn't, it wasn't so concerned with like, you know, the friends and making, you know, everything. And so I didn't really, um, it didn't bother me that I just show up and play baseball. But I, I know like looking back and hearing some things later that like it did bother people because I ended up playing as a 13 and 14 year old with a lot of those kids from that diamonds team. And there was some strain there that like, oh, that, they feel like you had abandoned them. Yeah. Well, I think just like, I was just this, you know, yeah, I just wasn't there all the time. And mm-hmm. so like, you know, who, who's this guy that just gets to show up what he wants to. Yeah. Right. And then we ended up playing this other travel team together. And it, it, I think it, you know, it led to some things for me where, you know, when I was 14, we were, I was playing on a very good travel team team. I ended up coaching for 13 years, Oh, wow. Um, you know, out of, out of Niles and, um, and the, it was, you know, really intense and we were playing, you know, every day just on a more condensed schedule. So we played, we actually had played about 90 something games, um, as 14 year olds. And, um, and so we were, you know, it was, it was intense, but like, I didn't have a lot of like friendships on the team. And I think it kind of goes back to that 12 year old year where a lot of those same kids were now on my team and they didn't really you know, we didn't really have a good connection because of some of that, that history. And so, you know, I, by the time I was 14, I got to a point where I was almost like, it wasn't, you know, 12 year old, like, yes, I'm having fun. I'm playing baseball every day. It was more like 14, like I'm playing baseball every day, like a robot and I can't get away from it for a moment. <laughs> and it, it it ended up like, and I'm you know, being, you know, more you know, of a teenager and in puberty probably and hormones and everything else. Mm-hmm. I got to a point where I got pretty numb, I would say like to where. So it wasn't like, this, I don't care. I get to play baseball every yeah. day. I just drive that. It, that was gone. Yeah. And yeah. It, it became just kind of like a, a numb feeling of, you know, I'm just going through the routine every time. And, um, and, you know, I, 
I wrote poetry at the time, you know, in Ooh. these notebooks, and um, I wrote some pretty scary stuff uh, in these notebooks. And uh, there was, you know, a poem that later on my parents saw because I entered it in some contest or something, and they're uh-huh. like, you know, holy crap! Like, are, how? You know, we didn't know you were feeling that way. We, we didn't and, know the infield fly rule could be so dark. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, I, but I remember, you know. A time when I was 14, we had a day off and I went to a carnival with some friends. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, we, I was, I was there with somebody and, you know, I saw this girl that like I, I had known and, and liked and, you know, was kind of interested in previously. And I saw her and when I saw her, I just had no emotion. And that, and that like, it, that really like struck me. It was like, it didn't, you know, I didn't get the butterflies of like seeing this girl that I, you know, kind of liked. And, you know, I, I, I didn't get like anxious even. I didn't get excited. I didn't get, you know, I just didn't feel. Why, why do you think that was? Any, I, I just had gotten, I think just, but, but the intensity of playing baseball every day, mm-hmm. the emotional ups and downs, the like focus, the, the, just like the maniacal, like baseball focus, everything else. Like I just couldn't, I couldn't muster emotion. You know, I just didn't have, I, I just didn't have a, 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 like anything left. I think I, I was just, I just couldn't do it. I don't know. It was really weird. It was just very, just a, a lack of emotion, like a very numb thing. And maybe, maybe I'm extrapolating a little bit too, based on your earlier comment, like your brother was grades, you was sports, but it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong. It seems like this was becoming more and more of you, this is who you were in a lot of people's eyes, maybe even in your dad's eyes, like you're the good baseball player. And, and that's the way maybe that your dad related to you or am I kind of off on that? Um, yeah, I think to an extent, I mean, it was just, we spent so much time together traveling, you know, my dad, by the time I was that age, he had a more flexible work schedule and was mostly on days. So he mm-hmm. could, he could do a lot of the, tr- you know, driving. And, um, you know, my younger brother is actually still a little bitter about the fact that like, you know, my dad would go to all my baseball games and he, you know, would play soccer at the park and my dad would never go to his soccer games. Um, and well, I mean, it's soccer. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Just you know, but well, my dad wasn't too, you know, it wasn't, but you know, it wasn't, you know, it, it was kind of a, you know, my dad was interested in it. He liked baseball. So, you know, it wasn't, I think he was a little more, motiv- you know, my parents were a little more motivated, but I was playing at a higher level. And so, you know, I needed the support, but I think, you know, it was, it was just so like, I think my, you know, we, not at that age yet where we, I don't think were we really like fighting about it, but there was certainly a, still like a criticism there or a bit of a, like, don't screw up mentality where, you know, if I, as a catcher, you know, I was very exposed, right. Where, you know, if a ball got by me, you know, it, it, it was very obvious. Right. And, and, yeah, and, and you. right. Yep. Um, or, you know, and so like, I just have, you know, some memories of like, you know, getting in the car after a game being like, why didn't you hustle after that ball? And, you know, why didn't you stop that ball? And you're better than this that. Is your dad? Yeah. Okay. And, you know, and those car rides were just, you know, and, and, you know, something that, you know, later as a, a coach, I tried to talk to parents about of like, hey, you know, your your kid's putting a lot of energy out uh, on the field and they're going to be exhausted after the game. That's not 
probably not the right time to talk baseball with them. Uh-huh. Um, it's probably, you know, that's the time to say, great job. I hope you had fun. Let's go get something yeah. to eat. It's a game. Right. Let's go to Dairy yeah. Queen. Right. Exactly. And that's all they care about. You know, 13 and 14, you know, when I was coaching, most of the kids, you know, the, uh, the game was over. Bam. They were in a whole nother world. Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, it was like they're focused for the game. You know, last pitches, you know, last outs done. And they're like, hey, where am I going to eat? You know, where's the, where's the ice cream? Where's what, something else? You know, and um, and it's just something that, you know, I've I've been able to, you know, try to learn from a little bit is that experience. What would you What would you say to your dad when he was kind of giving you a hard time about saying you, you maybe you weren't hustling enough or I mean I think I'd kind of be you know give a whine, you know kind of a whining like no I wasn't yeah you know, yes I was or mm-hmm. you don't know or you know I wouldn't really like I don't I think I, at that time I was pretty intimidated still and I wouldn't um, okay. you know by the time I was you know going to college we were I wasn't so timid about it. Um, were you still playing baseball at the time? Yeah. So, so I played through, you know, played in high school and, um, was deciding whether I was going to play in college. Um, and it actually got to the point where it wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. Um, because I, you know, I kind of peaked early, I would say in a way, like I got to my max height mm-hmm. as like a 14 year old, oh, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so like, you know, other people got, got, got taller. Um, and so, you know, there's, you know, there was a guy that, uh, was a year younger than me in school, but we played in summer together. And at 14 years old, he had never caught a day in his life, been a catcher a day in his life. He played, we played to actually park league together and the coach said, Hey, why don't you try being a catcher? Uh-huh. And I basically taught him how to catch. Well, at the time he was, we were probably about the same height or he was smaller than me. And then by senior year, you know, my senior year of college, his junior year, he was like six, two. And I, you know, I was still five, nine. <laughs> and so I ended up, you know, he ended up starting over me by my senior year as a catcher because he was just bigger and stronger. You said this and, was in college or high this school? is high school, high school. And, and kind of same thing happened to me in, in college as well. But, uh, you know, in high school, um, you know, he ended up playing over me cause he, you know, had a stronger arm and, you know, the coach, you know, wanted that. And I ended up like hitting, you know, being a DH, playing first base, playing third base. I played wherever I needed to, to be in the lineup or, you know, and end up being the MVP of the team my senior year. But oh, wow. I did, but I didn't catch a lot. Um, and it, which was, you know, different. And my dad, whenever that stuff would happen, my dad would kind of give me a hard time about like, Hey, go talk to the coach. Why aren't you catching? You should be catching. You should be, you know, you should be up there. And, and it was just like, that became like our real struggle of like, dad, leave me alone. I'm dealing with this. Let me take care of it. Um, and you know, I, at one point, you know, I was deciding on colleges and I could either go to a small school and play baseball, which is where I ended up doing, but on a scholarship. No, no. But still you were able to play at the collegiate level. Yeah. Okay. So, so, you know, D3, but I could either do that or I could go to U of I where I wasn't going to make the team. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just be a, you know, be a number. And, you know, I basically, I had actually uh, decided at one point, I'm going to go to U of I. I don't want this baseball anymore. I don't want to play anymore. Like, How this is your dad fun. take that? Um, I don't think terrible. Okay. But it was an interest, like, but it came out in like an argument. Like, you know, and I, I can't remember exactly how, you know, what started it, but I do remember me just like yelling, like, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. I don't want to play baseball anymore. I want nothing to, I, I don't, you know, because we just got to that point, of, like as a teenager where we just seemed to be arguing about 
stuff all the time. And whether it was baseball or even just like, I remember like in eighth grade, like playing basketball, we'd argue after basketball games or, you know, about like how, what I did. And it was just like, you know, I just had gotten sick of it. And, yeah. um, and I, you know, and it was interesting though, because I had one more thing to do. Like I had a trip to Canada right after I said that. So I was like, I'm done with baseball. I don't want to play baseball anymore, but I'd already signed up for this trip to Canada, but it was, you know, with a bunch of, you know, guys and, 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 you know, my parents weren't coming and, and I went to, went to Canada and baseball was fun again. Yeah. <laughs> now that I'd finally quit. <laughs> now you didn't, you didn't feel yeah, obligated yeah, to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Baseball was fun again. And I was like, wait, I came back from that going, no, I think I want to do this some more. Like, I, you know, I mean, I always loved it, right? It wasn't a problem of me loving baseball. It was just like, I was just done with the drama and, you know, and the stress of it. And it was like, wait, don't, I actually do love playing this game. And, um, and so I ended up choosing to go to the smaller school and, you know, I kind of, you know, I've taken away from that. Like, you know, I've tried to in my head sometimes when I'm getting like, you know, a little bit just in a routine or kind of just like, oh, this is, I'm doing the same thing all the time. Or, you know, I've, I've been doing something for a while that I liked at first and now I don't like it anymore. Mm -hmm. I almost do kind of try to do like a mental, you know, like quitting process in my head of like, okay, I'm giving it up. I'm never going to do it again. You know, and think about like, how much would I miss it? You know, how much would, does that, would that actually impact me? Mm. If I actually wanted to stop doing this, like, you know, if I actually said, you know, today's the last day, how much would I miss this? Wow. Um, and, you know, in college, obviously after four years of college, I did have a last day of playing baseball. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it was a, it was a tough day, um, you know, knowing that it was basically over from a, you know, a, a competitive standpoint. Um, did you go right into coaching? So I actually was coaching by the time I ended college. Um, I, the like fall before my, or the fall before my senior year, I started helping with the youth team that I played on, the 13 and 14 year old team I played on. I probably should have been playing baseball, um, but instead I, I, I helped coach baseball. Uh, Are you finding that more fulfilling? Yeah, I think I was. I mean, I think all along, I actually, as a player, even I enjoyed helping other players get better and, and teaching them what I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, I, you know, saw an opportunity to go back and it actually, in a way hurt my relationship with my college coach, my senior year, because the, my 13 and 14 year old team was really like a college level. Wow. Like like baseball program in a way mm -hmm. from like the, you know, advanced level of, of instruction and, um, how to play the game and signs and, and things where like my college coach was a former quarterback who was the grad assistant. And then the actual coach who'd been there for 30 years, got sick and couldn't coach anymore. And he all of a sudden became the head coach. And so like his kind of, it wasn't really his passion. Yeah, like he was more of a football say. guy. And, uh -huh. he, you know, and so like he didn't know a lot of the details of the game that I knew. Uh -huh. um, and so like, you know, so there were and, you know, philosophies like, but you know, I you know, had a philosophy about hitting and a philosophy about throwing. And like I would I actually had gone to a coaching um, conference like in the winter of my senior year. And so like I came back from that conference and my coaches were like teaching things that me and the other, like the, I was with my, the summer guys from the summer and we would look at certain guys and go, yeah, that's, that's not how we want to teach that. And then when I went back to, to, to college and the coaches were teaching the things where we were saying like, yeah, we, we, that's not, 
how we want to teach that. Uh, and they're like doing all those drills. And it was just really frustrating. Cause I was like, yeah, guys, this isn't, you guys got this wrong. And so I just really had a, a tough time, uh, you know, feeling, you know, respecting my coaches. Cause I felt like I knew more about the game than they did. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, yeah. again, I, I, the, the say, you know, catchers make great managers, yeah. et cetera, yeah. et cetera. But you, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, we were, for a while, co-workers yeah. uh, at a tech company, uh, you had a, a pretty high up leadership position. Um, I surely did not. And you, um, you, uh, we worked together there for some time, but I, 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 what did you take from coaching into there where you were yeah. leading a pretty large team? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing about when I was finally out of college and coaching, you know, I would, basically get a 13-year-old team in the fall. Like we'd have tryouts and get a 13-year-old team, a brand new group of kids. And it was a, you know, a process to take them from the fall through the winter into the spring. And hopefully by, you know, July, it was a functioning team and a team that, you know, you could, I could sit back and just let them play. And, you know, and they would play as close to a perfect baseball game as possible, win or lose, they would play the game the right way and they would They'd hit their cutoff man. Yeah, yeah. They, they wouldn't make, well, they wouldn't make mental mistakes. They would, yeah, be reduce the physical mistakes. Like, you know, they would just know how to play the game the right way. Um, and, you know, that really taught me, you know, going into, um, you know, other leadership about, you know, how to put people in a position to be successful. You know, okay. one of the things about, especially baseball, is there's so many different roles on the team, but even, you know, all sports really, right? Everyone has a different role. Everyone has different strengths. Everyone has different weaknesses. And, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're take, you know, you have the, the, the short, fast kid, right? You're not going to say, hey, go be a home run hitter. It's mm -hmm. like, no, how, here's how you can contribute. You can bunt and beat balls out. You can hit balls on the ground and get on base. You, you know, find a way to get on base, steal bases, you know, be a be a threat. That's what that's your job. Your job is not to hit gappers and hit the ball out of the park, right? And you know, but you might have a big kid who's slower. It's like, "Hey, I don't want you on the bases. Get the ball out of the yeah, park." Right? right? Like, you know, or or I want you driving people in and, you know, and then stay put. Like, don't Bill get James yourself out. James loves you. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so you you would yeah. see that too and then take that to you know, when you're leading a team. In yeah. The and so, and so the same thing happens, you know, when you have a team, you know, in, in the office, you know, the first team I had, um, was at a bigger company, but I had a small team of like six people. And the first thing I did was say like, well, what do you love to do? What do you love to do? What do you love to do? Here's, we have these six or seven very specialized tasks that our team did. And I was like, well, Who's going to be the owner of this task? And who's going to be owner of this task? You know, we have to do all these different things, but all of them need an owner. And if I'm the owner, they're not going to be as effective. You know, if each person owns it, they're going to know the problems. They're going to know what needs to be fixed. They're going to know, you know, what to ask for to make the process better. And, you know, and so right from the beginning, it just became a natural thing for me to say, like, who are my players and what can they be good at and what role can they take on? Um, and so, you know, I went from a team of six to kind of expanding my reach in that company, um, you know, to kind of build other teams by proxy to an extent, but kind of build that same mentality of like who, you know, where is the the work going to be in the right place for the right people? Um, but I also saw people get, you know, lose their jobs over being in the wrong job. Right. And, and, uh, and that really, right person, yeah. wrong seat. I yeah. Think is, I, yeah. I right. So it, yeah. like, you know, there was a situation and this is, you know, 
I don't want to get all the details. It was going to be a long story, but there was a situation where, um, you know, there was a project to start click to chat, which if you, if anyone, you know, everyone, <laughs> everyone chats, you know, yeah. for support now, but you know, this was when it was brand new. People mm -hmm. didn't really do it. And it was like this brand new thing. And I was on the project for click to chat and these, these folks who had been doing like, you know, e-commerce support got put on this click to chat project. Well, that project kind of like never ended. You know, as good corporations do, they put you on a project and then never let you off because they don't know how to off-ramp it um, into an actual team. Um, and so uh, so there was especially one guy who just – he didn't want to be doing that job. He was doing other stuff before that that he liked. Yeah. Everyone said he was doing great. I didn't really know him that well before that. They're like, oh, yeah, he was great at this and this and this, but they wouldn't let him off of chat. And he ended up just, you know, kind of blowing up a little bit and having some behavioral issues and end up getting let go because he just didn't like what he was doing and they wouldn't let him stop doing it. And it was just like, I, it just, it happened a couple of times when I was in a big company like that. And it was just like, man, like how ridiculous and how, what a waste of talent that we would put somebody in a position, you know, we would take them out of what they're good at, put them in a position to like try to help them grow, but then, you know, Maybe they don't grow. Maybe that's just not right for them. It's not where they're going to thrive. So instead of like getting them back to where they can thrive, we're just going to get rid of them and have to hire somebody new. <laughs> so I, I think what you're saying here is, you know, you were taking one approach. So, and it yeah. sounds like you were running into roadblocks. Well, yeah. I mean, it was like when I was not the leader, I was observing these things. So when I became the leader, you know, it was really important to me to say like, hey, what what's the role somebody's in? And what are their strengths to be be good at that role? Um, and if they're if it's not the right role, is there a different role we can put them in? Because I'd rather keep somebody on a team and give them the right thing to be successful at. Because it's amazing, like as a as a as a leader, I can have all the ideas in the world, but I'm limited. Right? I only have so many good ideas. And if I'm not doing the work every day, my ideas are only gonna be even that much, they're going to be that much worse because I'm not super involved in it. The people doing the work have the best ideas on how to fix it. And, you know, it, it, so it's, why would I not like give that power to them to, to do that and, you know, have, you know, eight people getting the best ideas for their eight different things versus me having to come up with all the best ideas myself, which are going to be limited and probably not that good, you know, in each of those eight areas that I'm not specialized in. And so, like, you know, I, I just really saw, and, and you see, like, that a person who really loves a particular thing, whether it's, like, data or, you know, which, you know, some people hate data, some people love data, uh -huh. right? Or it's um, training. Some people love training. Some people hate getting involved in training. But you can put someone in, you put someone who loves data doing data stuff, when that might not have been, like, they might have been a support agent. You're like, but yeah, you could do some analytics stuff. And all of a sudden, they come up with reports that you're like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Because they love it. And they'll tinker with it and try different things and experiment and come up with something where it's like, if I came up with the report, it'd be like, yeah, it's this, this standard thing. But then, like, someone who really loves that. They're putting that, new filters on it. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I didn't know I could know that information. Right. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, they're doing just amazing things. And so that's been my goal as a leader is to, you know, find for each, every team member I have to find what they love to do so I can give them things that they can go and be amazing at and do better, you know, and to multiply, you know, 
by 200% what we would do otherwise if all I was doing was telling them what to do with everything. Can you talk about the what you think uh, the importance of trust and vulnerability is uh, in, in a leadership position when leading a, a team? Yeah, I think in order to you know get to that place where you know somebody's strengths, um, it it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. You know, I've I've started on new teams uh, a few times now, uh-huh. and you know, you first come in and you have all these. You know, I I, I tend to have a you know, all these you know wonderful ideas. You know, in theory, right? Like you know, hey, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, and everyone goes, yeah, sure, yeah, all right, Josh, yeah, I I, I don't I don't believe you, um, and. Every time there seems to be one person, especially that's like, I don't believe you. And here's all my reasons why. <laughs> and but, on your team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you come in and, you know, they maybe have been there a lot longer, you know, a long time. And, and they're like, well, you know, you need to tell me, you know, you know, you know, you need to know my job better than I do. Or, you know, I don't think what you're saying is going to work. And so, you know, my way of dealing with this, you know, sit down with them, bring your list. Bring your notebook, bring all your questions. I might have answers for some, I might not have answers for others, but we're going to work through it and we're going to talk about it. And I'm going to give you my philosophy on how we're going to do things. And I'm going to share with you why I think that's going to be good for you. You know? So, yeah. And you mentioned a moment ago, you said, you know, I've had to start with new teams a few times. Um, and you left the company where you and I work together. Um, can you tell us about kind of, I, 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 not the specifics, right? But I know that that was a really stressful time for you and kind of how you, because I think somebody, most people who are listening to this have a job and most people yeah. who are listening to this are like, I wish Josh was my boss. Um, and the question is, how did you balance, you got young kids, uh, you have the stress at the job, like how did you balance that and how did it all come to a head? Yeah, so um so at you know at that job I I had a lot of success in the first you know year and a half or so that I was there and I you know had you know had a lot of these tough conversations and built up a team and built trust with the team and um and and I was you know operating you know pretty well and then um you know I guess I got a little bored um, and I said hey I, I you know I, I'll I'll try something different and I'll I'll take a different role that's mm-hmm. needed in the in the in the org um, but it's going to put me very close to the boss. Um, the head of the whole department. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, previously I had my team, I was a little bit insulated in that, like I was allowed to just run my team and I was busy with my team. And so like, I wasn't getting, you know, I wasn't involved in all uh, day after, you know, minute by minute, you know, operations of the business and the new role I would be. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have a tendency to believe that most work is wasted effort. Like most things in business are to prove that you are doing something versus actually doing something of value um, or to convince your boss that you're, you're, you know, adding, you're doing something, you know, you're not slacking. It's like, um, it's like most work is that button uh, that they probably still have on the NCAA site when it's the tournament where you click on a button and then the graph just pops up if your boss walks by. Right. <laughs> right. So you're, I, I agree with what you're saying a lot, by the way. So sorry to interrupt you. I just yeah. made me think of the NCAA. Go ahead. Please. No, well, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, Homer hitting the, the, the enter button with the, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but, but, it, but there's a reason why that we have those, like those, those tropes and those, you know, you know, make fun of that because the reality is everyone knows that a good chunk of their, their work day they're not adding value, right? And they're just trying to not get in trouble. 
And <laughs> can you imagine how stressful that is? I mean, oh, we've absolutely. all felt that. And it's it's such a um cognitive dissonance, right? Where you're trying to do the right thing, but at the same time you're afraid. How did you deal with that? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't well. Um, okay. I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I didn't well. I, you know, I was very good when I had a little bit of, I had ownership and I could build the culture and the, the, you know, kind of the feedback loops I wanted and, and, you know, be, you know, work, you know be really cl- tight with the people. Um, but once I was kind of the, you know, point person for the success of the or, you know, organization to an extent uh, underneath my boss, um, it, it, I did not, you know, handle that that well of being told like I need you to do this, 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 and this, and I was like, yeah, nine out of those ten things are completely pointless, and you know, it really messed with my head because I was, I was just. Would you say that to your boss, like, like that? Blunt? No, I, I, no, I, I wouldn't, and that was part of the problem. Uh, I, I think you know what I, what responsibility I can take for the situation is I wasn't that clear. I, I didn't come at it. I, it more, I would take it, I would go away and be a little more passive aggressive about it and be mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm just not going to do those nine things. Cause you know what? Nothing bad's going to happen if I don't, cause they're useless. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. And in my, in my other, you know, other role, I could do that cause no one was really paying that close of attention uh-huh. in this role. He wanted all those 10 things done because it made him feel good about whatever. And you know, and it, and if they, if nine out of 10 weren't done, it was a problem, whether it actually was a problem or not, it was a problem for him. And so like, you know, and so that's where I got, you know, I, I could, I didn't have the main maturity at that point, um, you know, to say like, here's why I don't think any of that is going to be useful. But I think also, I also had to understand that like, if I said that, he'd be like, I don't care. This is what I want. It's it, going back to tr- <laughs> trust and vulnerability. Maybe yeah. you did not trust that you could be vulnerable in that instance. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, yeah. there was a point where where it got proven to me where I was working on a, a software project to say like, okay, we're going to switch our so- this this huge software we have. And, you know, I went and did research and tried to find the best, you know, solution. And, so, you know, people who knew more about it than me were recommending a different solution. And so we got it all approved. It was all ready to go. We were about ready to, like, start acting on it. And I looked at the project plan and I looked how busy we were. And I looked at what resources we had to actually do this thing. And I went to my boss and I said, we shouldn't do it. I said, I said, I know we just did all this work to get to, to like make this decision. And you, you know, went to your boss and had to prove to him and that was probably, mm-hmm. but, but we shouldn't do this. It, we're, we're, it's not going to work. We don't have enough people to make it successful. Everyone's too busy to make it successful. We just can't do this kind of a transition successfully, you know, just with the current environment and, and, you know, the people that we have that are already tapped. And so, and he said, we can't do that. I already told my boss we're doing it. We can't not do it. So I, I do want to point out here that that's a different reaction than the nine out of 10 thing. So there was some uh, far from me to assign it to somebody. It sounds like there was some growth where you felt like you could now be like, okay, I need to be more forthright with you about why the, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. I, I mean, I think um, because it was more of a project, I think, versus like a day-to-day thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt a little more, and I was kind of the owner of it. I felt a little more ownership to be able to, you know, yeah. to say, you know, this is this is not a good idea right now. Um, 
the end of the story is he said, no, we're doing it anyway. I got let go from the company not too too long after, and uh, and they went allowed to do it. And the feedback I got was that it was pretty rough, uh, rough All right, going. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. <laughs> um, so, well, wait, okay. Yeah. So, That's a lot right there. Yeah. Right? No, so, you know, so some, some other things happened. Um, you know, I was put in charge of a team that was kind of dysfunctional. Um, one of the, the manager who I kind of took over for had actually gone out uh, for an extended period of time for, you know, some, some issues he was having. Um, when he came back, he, you know, shared with me that there were some mental health issues and some anxiety issues that he was dealing with, probably because he was kind of the wrong person in a role that um, he thought, you know, he got hired into one role and then got asked to do a bunch of stuff he wasn't good at um, and ended up, you know, needing to take a lot of time off to deal with that. And when he came back, he ended up reporting to me and, you know, shared with me what was going on. Um, I told my boss, I think, that he did that because I thought it was no problem. Like, Hey, great. You know, now I understand, you know, we can work together. If he has an issue, we can, I can give him time to get over, you know, to deal with it and come back stronger. And, you know, we can, you know, get, you know, see if he can be effective at the role he was originally hired to do. Um, and I got told that I had broken some sort of, uh, rule. Um, I was told don't ever let your employees tell you medical information. Um, you know, and, you know, you should just shut them down and tell them I can't listen to you. Um, and uh, and then, you know, I end up being on a PIP. And that was one of the things on my PIP that I, you know, shouldn't ever do again. Um, basically because they, well, what it really was, and I, I think I can be safe in making, you know, it sounds a little presumptuous, but, you know, they wanted him fired. They didn't think he was good at his job. He was in the way. If he, you know, if we knew something about his medical history, now he's protected. Now it's harder to fire him. So we try to, you know, if, if I, if I, you know, if I'm, you know, if I, if I'm trying not to get sued, I try to keep, you know, a big enough distance between me and the employee so that they can't say that I knew something that I, you know, didn't want to know. And it, and it was anxiety, right? That yeah. you were saying that he was struggling I, I, yeah. with. Um, and well, I mean, let's go into, a, I, I don't want to get too far off track, yeah. but like so many people. Um, in business, whether they're, you know, what, what somebody would term an anxious person or not have this roiling anxiety because of, I mean, any number of things. Um, and it's just, it would be wonderful if we could have, um, more, more conversation about that in the workplace and actually have a conversation about it as opposed to, uh, we're having a conversation about mental health and then say somebody comes to you and says, Hey, I'm struggling with this. And you're like, ah, uh, right. And, and yeah. you know, I, I just always, you know, again, that, you know, that trust thing, right? Like I wanted to, I always wanted to build trust and understand what's going on with my team members because I can't help them if I don't really know what's going on. And part of my job as a leader has been actually breaking down some of those barriers to be like, Hey, I, I need to know, man, like I can't help you. Like if you're going to put up barriers about what I how I understand who you are, I can't help you. You know, good news is I can usually read through them a little bit and mm -hmm. and you know poke and prod and but you know show them show them a, a better path. But like you know part of you know part of what I you know do as a leader to build that trust to actually give people opportunity to go into their strength because there's plenty of people I've run into that are only limited by what they believe about themselves, right and 
you know, one, there was a, a TED talk I saw recently by a psychiatrist who said, you know, my job is to retell, you know, help people, you know, tell different stories about themselves. And I think as a leader, that's kind of my job is to help somebody tell a different story about themselves that is better than the one that they came in believing. That if they said like, well, I do this job and that's the only job I'm going to be good at. I can't be a leader. I can't, I can't, you know, get other people to believe me. I'm not good at data. I'm not good at this. Right. And, and, and try to figure out like what they are good at. So they can tell a different story about what they're great at. Like what, you know, I'm the best in support at this. I'm the best on, on the team at this. And I own this area. So I, so they can, you know, have a sense of a, a, a more, you know, personal, you know, success, you know, versus having that block up to say like, well, I can never have that. And, it, you know, I just don't, I don't believe in those barriers. I'm maybe a little bit, you know, naive in a way, but like, I, I just think that there's so many barriers that people put up, you know, to themselves. And I do it to myself in a lot of ways too. But, you know, as a leader, I can, you know, see for other people like, hey, you're, you're just don't believe it enough. Um, there was a, there was a team lead at the company we worked at, who had been with, was like the longest term employee at the company. And she was just actually just an agent. And she just did not want to, she was really shy, really introverted, but she knew everything about the business. Mm -hmm. And so just little by little got her to like talk in front of a group and do a huddle and put something, put a presentation together. And for, you know, so then she grew and then she became a team, so she became a team lead because she got a little bit more out there and could at least like, you know, have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people and be successful. And then as she grew in that, she eventually became a manager. And, you know, the only reason that happened and, and not, to be, not to be like, you know, pat myself on the back was just because someone came in and said, this isn't enough for you. Like you can do so much more. You know so much more. You have a superpower here that no one else has, which is you've been here the longest. You know what you know everything about this business. Why are you not sharing that? Why are you not more, you know, influential and and doing more? And I think, you know, I've I've had that conversation a couple of times, you know, with people and even, you know, recently to say, like, you know, a lot of times people think that their even like their their weaknesses are going to are holding them back or the things they've gone through in their life are the reason they can't do something but what i see is the the things that you've gone through in your life are actually your superpower because i haven't gone through those things and i haven't learned the lessons you've learned and so because you have those lessons you can do things that nobody else can do because you've had maybe a tough childhood you maybe have a tougher skin and maybe you know, than than i do Right. Because you've like had, you know, mental health issues, you can relate to other people on the team that might be going through the same thing and that I, I can't. And, and so that's what I try to look for is like, Hey, you know, your story, you know, your story is as much as you think it's something to hide from is actually the thing that you can take and make, you know, an, an impact on other people, you know, because you've gone through it and I haven't, and, yeah. and I can't even, I can't be a, a credible person, you know, in a lot of cases, because I haven't gone through it, but there's people who have, and they're much more credible to, to help somebody than I would be because I, you know, I don't have that experience. And that's what I look for is like, Hey, you know, if I have leaders and stuff, it's like, Hey, what's your experience that you're now the credible voice to go and talk to me. I think that's where like diversity, um, has, is a super, is the superpower, right? Like, you know, I think diversity in the workforce gets, um, is really not understood 
in a lot of ways. Like we know, like we need to be more diverse. We know we need, you know, different experiences, but we don't go deep enough with it. We think that just like, you know, the surface level, like we're going to put a bunch of different people together is going to be good. But the studies show like putting diverse people together, but not doing the work to integrate is really bad. Like mm-hmm. it can be bad for a country. It can be bad for a team. It can be bad for anybody. You don't want diversity without doing the work to integrate your values and, and, and understand each other. And so, you know, but the value in diversity is everybody has that perspective that they can bring and be a credible witness and a credible influence about what they've gone through for somebody else that may have gone through something similar. Or, you know, a black person is going to have a much more, you know, credible voice to another young, you know, to a young black person than I am. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, and, and that's, and that's okay. But I need to bring those people into my circle so that, so that I can make sure that everybody who, who, you know, is part of my circle of influence has somebody that they can feel supported by. Uh, Brent, do you have a printer? Uh, I just need to print my resume here. I'm just hoping Josh <laughs> hires me. Uh, in all seriousness, though, um, a lot of what you said um, really rings true to me. Um, my most uh, recent uh, boss who I worked for was one of the best leaders I'd ever known. And and he, you were almost, it's almost like you were just taking words out of his mouth and saying them yourself. It was just really refreshing to hear. And it's kind of what has led me to, you know, I'm trying to become a motivational speaker about anxiety and depression in the workplace. And, you know, a lot of what you're saying, I think, you know, for the, for my mom and the one other person who listens to this podcast, uh, they're going to be nodding their head and like, yeah. So I, I, I just think that's really, really, um, really insightful and profound stuff. And one thing that I've learned from this conversation is that it seems to me, Josh, that um, throughout your life, you've had things happen to you. You learn to understand what happened to you. And then you try to take that to make the next experience better. And not just for yourself, but for people around you. And that is something that is extremely admirable. And I and I think you should pat yourself on the back for that. I'm sorry that I pointed at you. I usually only point at Brent. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I I just think there's a lot of good to be said here. I really appreciate you sharing all of that with us. With that being said, as a leader, as somebody who, you know, came up um, and was kind of stuck in something maybe you did or didn't want to do and and struggled through things and then did what I tried to describe that you just learned from them, what, what would you what was the last thing that you would want to say to stick with people, maybe to share with people as, you know, before we kind of close out? Well, you know, I'd say like, you know, no situation's permanent. You know, I've gotten fired from a job. You know, I had a, my second kid, um, on the way I just bought a house and I got fired from my job. I was out of a job for eight months. Oh boy. Um, you know, but nothing, it wasn't permanent, you know? And I think if you, you know, can base yourself, you know, base your life on, you know, values and things that are important to you and really stay focused on that. Good things will, you know, will start to come back to you even when it feels like they're all gone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you, if you base your, you know, base your life on, you know, building trust and, you know, building respect of people and, you know, you know, really like feeling good that you're 
doing right by people, things will come back around. And it might not always be quick and it might not, you know, be um, perfect right away. But, you know, I've gone from, you know, being kind of in a big company, you know, being a number, going into a, you know, crazy, you know, tech startup be kind of thing, getting fired from there. You know, I went to a sports data company, got let go from there, like, because, you know, it wasn't the right thing for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it what they weren't, it wasn't a place where I could really um, share my values and really, you know, be a part of a team that was cohesive. And now I'm finally in a place where I feel like I can live as authentically as possible in my work and in my life. And my hope for everybody is they find that someday. And I believe everyone can, but you have to like stop and step back and go, you know, this job, you know, whatever job I have that I might not love right now, it's not permanent, but what do I want? What, what situation is the right situation for me? And how do I make just baby steps to get there? And you know what, if I get fired from this job, maybe that's okay because it wasn't the right thing for me. And I need to go find something a little bit closer to what's going to make me tick and really bring out the best in me. And, you know, I can say that, you know, now at, you know, 40 plus years old, I finally, you know, feel like I'm at a place where I can be my authentic self, you know, at work, um, you know, and out of work. And I don't have to, you know, put on a mask every time I go into my job to prove that I'm doing my job or that I'm not messing something up and, you know, worrying about getting fired um, or like I'm not even adding value, right? <laughs> you know, or I'm just a number, right? I actually feel like I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, you know, I I can do something important. I can help other people, um, and fulfill my mission, which is to make work suck less for as many people as I can. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, and it really is. Uh, it, it actually bothers me that I actually have a small team right now. It's like I'm not impacting as many people as I think I can. Well, once but, we get that resume, <laughs> you're going to have one more. But, uh, you know, but, you know, I think there, it's, it's really about, you know, I had a conversation recently with somebody and, you know, um, I think for everybody, it's important to figure out how you can sit with yourself and be okay with that too. I think you can't really grow until you get back to neutral. Um, you know, I've seen people, you know, where, you know, there's, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of, you know, there's, they've been burned. They don't want to open up again because someone burned them or maybe, you know, vulnerability got them fired. Um, or, you know, and, you know, I, I just, I see that limit, limit their, you know, potential because you just have, you have to figure out how to come back from that and get back to center and say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to try that again. And I'm going to, I'm going to try it until it works. Um, because, you know, I think, I just feel like there's a lot of people just going about their day-to-day life and they can't even sit with themselves for five minutes. Oh yeah. And, and that's tragic to me. Like, that's just so tragic to me because you can't grow until you you have at least the comfortability with yourself to sit and, and, and know who you are. Cause you're not going to be able to use your strengths. You're not going to be able to tell somebody else, this is what I'm good at. I can't go in an interview and say, this is what I'm good at. Do you want that? And they'll say yes or no. And if they say yes, great. You probably have the perfect job. Mm-hmm. 
right? And until you can do that, it's really hard to find that that awesome, you know, situation for yourself. I well, um, I'd like to introduce everybody to the new host of Sad Times. His name is Josh. Uh, he'll start next week. You're never going to have to hear my bullshit again. Uh, in all seriousness, Josh, um, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for sharing, you know, your story, your thoughts. I, I think there's just so much value uh, in that. And, you know, it, it really hits home for me, uh, the the idea of sitting sitting with yourself. I, to this day in my 40s, uh, struggle with that all the time. But when I am able to accomplish it, um, uh, it it's it's a hellscape, but then it's okay. You know, and I just think there's a lot of wisdom in what you said, and I I don't want to try to add too much more to it because uh, I I think it really stands on its own really well. So thank you for that, and um, thank you so much for being on and and uh, go Cubs. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. This was awesome, man. Um, and to everybody at home, uh, something I try to end the show with is a, a reminder I give myself, try to give myself every day. Um, there's always room for kindness and grace, um, in any situation. Uh, and especially when it is you sitting with yourself. Um, and I forget that all the time, but um, uh, I, I think it's an important thing to remember. And, um, you know, hopefully uh, I, I know that I've taken a lot from this conversation. Uh, hopefully you at home did as well. And, um, you know, hope you have a great time out there and let's go Cubs. And uh, we'll see you next time on Sad Times. You've been listening to a fourth hand joint.